Well, what shall I say? But to be back with my brothers and sisters in Christ who have prayed for me so over these months, to have the joy of seeing your faces. I think that's the hardest thing of all, you know, not having your family all around you. I know you couldn't all get around my bed, but, uh, and I know the deacons made sure that you couldn't, and the doctors made sure that the deacons know that they couldn't, but I know that you are all praying for me. And I tell you, I, in my heart, do not believe that I would be here except for your prayers. None of you could possibly know, and I don't want to go into a discourse about all I've gone through, but none of you could possibly know the depths that I went through. I found some of the experiences of the psalmist. I'll speak about some of those things. But, but to just know that everybody was praying and that God has allowed me once more to stand behind this pulpit that has been so jealously guarded over the years that only the gospel should be preached. I want to express my deepest and appreciation to my dear brother at my left, Ernie, who has done such a blessed and wonderful job leading the church as head of the board of deacons, head of our Sunday school, the man who's been by my side since the first steps I took visiting houses to see if we could start a little work here 20 years ago. To him and all the deacons and to Alan McCrodden and all the trustees, the officers of this church. And if I do say this, God taught us great things, didn't he? I remember Paul saying in one of his epistles that he hadn't let them know too much about his condition lest they get upset about him. And I'm so thankful that this work could be left in the hands of men and women like yourselves and that the church ran on effectively. And we praise God for the Holy Spirit's ministry. The Lord has been so gracious and so good to us. So uh, I'm back. Fifteen pounds less have passed again, but still passed again. They tell me that's good. I don't know. But they got me on that kind of a diet. If anybody wants to know, I'll tell you. You can see me privately. But... Uh, praising the Lord that I am with you this morning and rejoicing to see so many out. What a thrill to my heart to see you all. This morning, I, I'd like to speak to you if I can. If you turn to Psalm 119, we're going to have the Lord's Supper and I want us to come to the table with sensitive hearts. I'm so afraid sometimes that our Christianity 
in many areas has reached a very low ebb, if I might say, that we have given less and less place to the Holy Spirit in his mighty power. And uh, I feel that there are things said in this portion that I'd like to speak to you about this morning that are very, very important to every heart. For we might misinterpret the word of God. The psalm is the 119th, not the portion that I had Ernie read this morning. Incidentally, the 119th psalm is uh, essentially showing forth God's word in its power. The portion that Ernie read you might not have noticed, but God's word is continually mentioned. There are many words used for the word of God. That first verse says that I would keep thy words. Second one, 58th verse, 58th, this is where Ernie read, Be merciful unto me according to thy word. I thought on my ways and I turned my feet unto thy word, thy testimony. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy word, thy commandments. It's always the word. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy, thy word. Thy Lord, you see. All these words, there are about ten words used in the, in the 119th Psalm that have reference to the word of God. It's always thy word that he turns to. I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments, thy word. I am companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy word, thy precepts, you see. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy word. You see, thy statutes. You see how it is? All through this 119th Psalm, you're going to see that. It's the word of God that is to be all in all to us. Remember, no one is born again outside the word of God. Peter says, being born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. No one is saved without the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. How do you get faith? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So it is an absolute impossibility to be born again outside the word of God. Let no one tell you about some experience they've had outside the word of God. Ask them, where did you get your faith? And a lot of people have an idea that they get their faith by some mental machination that goes on and that they can worship God out on the golf course and because there's beautiful trees. But I would remind you that God talks about that and he says the rain falls on the just and the unjust, but the just are different than the unjust. The just, the justified ones are those who are justified in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it is always the word of God. All that we would be conscious of this. There is a lack of this in the church of Christ today. And I would not ask this question from the pulpit this morning because I would cause so much embarrassment that our hearts would break if I asked how many read the word of God 
10 minutes to 15 minutes every day, our hearts would break as Christians. We would be brokenhearted within when we think we cannot even spend 10 minutes in the Word of God and get all that it has to say. A man's new birth. How do you grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ outside the Word? You cannot. You could pray from now till doomsday to be a strong Christian and you'll never be one until you get your strength from the Word. My Word is food indeed. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every, what? Word from the mouth of God. And so for there to be growth in our Christian lives, we who've been born again of that incorruptible seed of the Word of God, you receive Christ as your personal Savior. He's come into your breast by faith. You are a new creature in Christ. You've been born again. The Holy Spirit of God now dwells in you. And you who before had no hunger for the Word of God, you still in your flesh have no hunger for the Word of God, but only because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He is your hunger for the Word of God. Your flesh wants no part of the Word of God. Your flesh desires no restrictions upon itself. I would remind you that the flesh of the saint is no different from the flesh of the sinner out in the world. It's the same kind of flesh, has the same kind of desires and temptations, the only difference is that you now have a power resident within your body that empowers you to crucify the lusts of the flesh. But never get an idea that you have been changed in the flesh. That which is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so, there is this tremendous new birth that is coming to us through our faith in Jesus Christ. 65th verse of the 119th Psalm. Notice what it says. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord. What? According, let's say it according unto thy word. Has God dealt well with you? We haven't dealt well with God. Has he dealt well with you? That's what I've been talking about. The dealings of God with your heart. As you have heard, that word has faith come. Faith has nothing to do with your intellectual powers. The minute you stretch your mind above the mind of God and begin to try to conceive of the things of God, you're completely out of any relationship to God. He says, my thoughts are above your thoughts as high as the heavens are above the earth. Our faith is born of the word of God. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. 
God will not deal with any of you outside of his word. Ye must be born again. You will never know what the word has to say until first you have received the saving grace of Jesus Christ wrought on the cross of Calvary, the blood that cleansed from sin and that made your heart pure within because God can't speak to an unclean vessel. Only in salvation will he speak, but he'll never dig down deep into your heart and speak the deeper truths of his word. Thou hast dealt well with me, Lord, according to thy word. Now, it's nice to have this microphone. I can walk out a little bit. These are nice, Stephen. Wireless. Hello? <laughs> but it's truly, I got so much to say, you know. I don't know where to stop, really. May I say this? When God deals well with his servant, it isn't like you think. Now, I, if I ask anybody, has God dealt well with you? Oh, yes. How? Well, I got a good job. <laughs> my family is a nice family. I've got the children. My wife is a good wife, or my husband's a good husband. Yes, God's dealt well with me. Lovely home. He's dealt well with me. Well, then, you don't understand this part here, though. God is not speaking of this here at all because he's going to speak to a servant who's gone astray in the third verse of this here. When God deals well with his servant, he deals in a much different way than we would ever imagine. Our ideas of being dealt well with is as long as we're healthy and prosperous and everything's rolling well, God is happy with me. I want to tell you that's from the Abrahamic covenant way back where everybody thought as long as we're rich as Abraham, we're blessed. That has nothing to do with grace. Nothing to do with grace. But the Jews merely believed it. Abraham never said so. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But the Jews had an idea. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. And as long as we're rich, we're blessed. But God's dealings with us are entirely different. God is dealing with his children, beloved, in a way to get the most out of his child. And it may take you through the deepest waters you possibly could go through. It may take you down into the very valley of death, I do not know. But God, if he really loves you, will deal with you according to his word. He's not going to violate his word. And because you say, I am rich and filled with goods, therefore God is blessing me. God is saying to that man, thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. And then what shall those things be? will mean nothing. God deals with his servant very, very, very carefully with his heart. And he may have to bring us very, very low before he gets his finished product, that which he desires.
lives. And it may mean that he has to put us aside. It may mean that he has to take all our possessions from us. It may mean, beloved, going through the deep waters of sorrow. I do not know, but God is going to get what he wants from you. And I want to tell you something, that when we get down to the third verse here, and I'm not going to try to cover it all. The, the, the thing will, would take weeks to cover. But this here, I want to say in this third verse, and I want you to just look at it quickly because it's very important. The 67th verse, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. It's so important to understand what God is trying to do with us. He wants us to come out as pure as gold. And I want to tell you that the strains God is mentioning here, going astray, have nothing to do with what you think is going to astray, going astray. It has nothing to do with adultery. It has nothing to do with fornication. It has nothing to do with the overt sins that all men can see. But it has to do with your going astray as a Christian, as a believer. And those goings astray are the worst because they're the most deadly. I call it unconscious deterioration. Maybe I can give you a good example. I feel a little deteriorated. This is a 15 and a half. I can take a 15 now. But you know, the only way I really recognize it, well, let's take anyone here, all right? Have you got home in your nice little family album? I have. I have pictures when I was, oh, about, what is it, honey, six months old? You know that nice one, that beautiful picture. <laughs> but I have pictures of me when I was six months old, then when I was a young boy, about 10. Then when I was a gay young man of about 19, 20. And then when I was about 35. Then when I was about 45 or 50. You say, how far is he going to go and tell us his age? <laughs> I haven't reached the three score and ten, all right? But you know, the only way to really see myself is to look from the baby to the young man of 10 to the 18 to the 35 to the 45 and then get a picture of myself today and unconsciously I have deteriorated. And so do we all. The scientist, the doctor says from the cradle to the grave is a process of deterioration. And so there is an unconscious deterioration going on within us. And so when the psalmist here is speaking of the goings astray, and we, I believe, with Spurgeon and many others, that David was the great author of this, he's not speaking as he did in Psalm 32 and 51 of his great sin with Bathsheba. He went over that. But of the goings astray as one who really believed, And these are the things that are unconscious deterioration and are the least recognized. May I say that? Overt sin we see. That which is outward. Adulteries and fornications and 
those things which are publicly manifested in the church. And the church has disciplines concerning these things. Then there are the secret sins which we cannot see that go on in hearts. And these are terrible things that tear apart our hearts and leave us these two, both secret and overt sin, leave us despondent and dejecting and despairing. And I, can I deeply impress this upon you? When you are despairing and desponding, search out your life and get straight with God so his love can be poured into your soul. Secret sin is the great tragedy of the church. But these things bring dejection and despondency and despair. And there's one other word which means very much to me. Isolation. Isolation. The thought that you have possibly fallen into some deep sin or some secret sin that is raving at you, that has you bound hand and foot. And instead of seeking the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in Christ and discussing it with someone you love, like your pastor, whose ears are only for you and whose mouth never says anything, you go on and you become an isolationist. You separate yourself from your brethren. You don't feel worthy in your heart to be near them. And so you isolate yourself and you slowly withdraw from the very thing that could change your whole life and bring you back into a fervent relationship with Jesus Christ. Mark my words, there are those here of you this morning, many of you who know me and have discussed and gone over your sins and confessed them to me. And because you knew that I knew, together we prayed and you had someone that you could come to. And those of you whom I'm speaking of, and there are many, have said, one of the things that's got me back on the road is to know that you know, and I not only don't want to disappoint my Savior, but I don't want to disappoint you, past again. And so there are the unconscious things. Beloved, quickly, what are they? May I... I want to say a lot more about this. I'm going to go into it with you. But may I say this? Beloved, it's, it's Christian problems. Prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. And when I say that, I cover such a vast area here. May I say this? There are many of you who pray who are prayerless. God's never heard them. Number one, if you're not saved, you can't come to God as your Father. Jesus says, no man comes to the Father but by me. Notice he says, Father. You can come to God for repentance and salvation, and then you become a son. Then you come to the Father. There's no universal fatherhood of God. He is the Father of all them that believe on Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot of prayers go up through Malvern, I'm sure, every day, and through all the villages that you come from, but I want to assure you that most of them have never risen above the nose because they've never, number one, acknowledged the sinfulness of the heart and the need for salvation, and number two, if they're Christian, they have not fulfilled those requirements for prayer. 
God does not hear us unless we have fulfilled his pre-requirements for prayer. You think you can glibly come to God at any time and utter up some prayer from your heart and then think that because you do this, God hears you? No, beloved. I would remind you, and this is very important, James in his great epistle says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Anything else avails little. All right? And I'm going to ask you to underline one word in that portion in James 5, effectual. It doesn't say fervent prayer avails anything. It says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, what makes our prayers effectual? Well, we have to meet the preconditions of God. Number one, Psalm 66. If I regard iniquity in my heart... What? Can I hear it? He will not, what? Hear me. God can't hear you. Matters not if it's a preacher, the deacon, the trustee, the people. God doesn't hear. Don't you ever think he hears you. He doesn't. He says he doesn't. Number two, let not that one, the epistle of James, that of Peter, let not that one that wavereth in their prayers think that they shall receive, what? Anything from God. Impossible. How do you go to God? Do you believe he'll really answer you? Oh, listen, when I, when I read, you know, the prayers of Jesus, he says, Matthew 21, 22, and all things whatsoever she shall ask in prayer, believing effectually ye shall receive. John 14, 13, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. Is that the kind of prayer you go with, huh? Do you really, let me ask you that, do you really go with that kind of prayer? That will I do that the Father might be glorified in the Son. John 14, 14, if she shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Number three, beloved. John, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask me what ye will and I will do it unto you. What does it say? The word of God has to abide in you and you have to live in the world. Now maybe you'll change your whole prayer life so it's effectual. How does prayer become effectual? Only because we have fulfilled God's requirements. We've cleansed the iniquity out of our heart. We've cleansed our thought life. We have cleansed out the enticements, the flatteries, the deceits, the fleshliness, the double-tongueness, the filth, the dirt, the filthy books, the filthy television. that places degenerate things before our children. I am not telling you now that all books are not good or all television is not good. I am telling you that there are areas of these things that must be cleansed out if God is going to hear your prayers. I assume you want God to hear your prayers. If you're a young couple, if you're a married a mother and father, if you're a son and daughter, I assume God wants you want God to hear your prayers. You'll never get an answer to prayer, and God will never hear you unless 
There's an absolute cleansing away of sin. And the only time that sin enters is when with some mighty incursion it drags you down in a moment. But it's not predetermined sin and preconceived sin all planned out. You pray for your children and there are no answers. And you pray, God bless me, and there's no answers. The heavens are as brass. Because His Word does not abide in you, you do not abide in the Word. There's iniquity in the heart. You waver in your prayers. And then Peter, Peter says to the husbands, he said, husbands, love your wives in such a way as the weaker vessel. Understand the depth of your love for them. And you know how he finishes? Lest your prayers be hindered. It depends upon your married relationship. There are those of you here this morning whose marriage relationship may be such that God hasn't heard your prayers and your prayers are absolute hindered. You're wondering why this child has run astray. Your life is not what it should be and there's no joy in the heart and you feel burdened all the time and God wants to open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so great you shall not be able to receive it. God wants to give you all of His lovely, gracious heart of love for you and cleanse you and say, now come in, child. Enter in. What does Hebrew say? The way unto the holiest was opened by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because every sin must be cleansed away. And then you come in. Do you glibly pray at night at your, on your knees and utter some prayer up? You haven't cleansed the sin of the day. Why, your prayers sometimes are no more than that prayer that you prayed as a little child. If you happen to pray that way, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die... Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's not for you. No, you're a child. You're a child. You're to come cleansed every whit. Oh, beloved, do this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. This is the straying of the Christian. Do you see this? You will be blind to what God is saying here if you look at your life and you say to yourself, Oh, I thank God like that one of all the publican, remember? I thank God I'm not like other men. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen and I haven't done these things and I haven't done that. But God is speaking to Christians this morning and saying the astray that is causing the problem today is that you have strayed from your Savior. You've left your first love and you've forgotten that I want that fellowship with you in deep and holy and intense prayer. Fervent prayer, but effectual prayer because your heart is cleansed. You do not waver. You believe me. If I said, I will do it, you believe it. Your husband and wife relationship are proper because you know that your prayers are hindered if it is not. That should keep every husband and wife on the right level if they really love their Savior. Every mother and father. And then the Word of God abiding in you. Does it abide in you? Oh, beloved, listen to me. Listen to me, the psalmist says here about going astray. He said, I went astray. I was afflicted. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Then the affliction came, God's chastening. And you know, I thought, 
you know, I've read that verse so many times over in Hebrews where it says, Whom the Lord loveth, he scourgeth, right? He chasteneth and he scourges, tell me the next word, every son. I want to be frank. I used to read that and I used to think, no, I don't, I don't know. After all, I preach the word of God. And I'm sure many of you thought that. Ah, every son, father. But how about me? How about me? Yeah, the Lord says he scourges every son. Why does he scourge every son? Because we have misinterpreted what he has to say to us as children. He knows when there's adulteries and fornications, and he deals very severely. The unfortunate part is that we do not recognize what going astray is in God's eye. And going astray in God's eyes is when you're not in proper position to pray. When you are not in the word of God. When your prayers are not effectual. We're going astray when we engage in worldliness. We are unconsciously deteriorating. And if we were to see our spiritual picture two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, and our spiritual photograph today, we would look like creatures of a hundred years of age with a cane feebly waiting for God to take us home. And that's all that's left though you may be 25. That's how you look spiritual. Well, God, I spoke 40 minutes. I can't believe it, you know. Ah, oh, it's good. It's good. Do you see the difference you will mock your life only by what the world says about going astray. And that is that unless I commit some vile sin, I'm doing well. That's not it at all. God's speaking to his children about going astray from their closeness to him and their loving, tender fellowship with him day by day and of a real prayer life. Mother, let me tell you something. When you get to a real prayer life and tears roll down your face, I don't mean just out of emotion, but because they are effectual prayers out of a heart that's cleansed and a life that desires God's best for your children, you'll see tremendous results, but it won't be because you spend one minute on your knees in prayer or two minutes when you lie down in your bed. It'll be because you really mean business with God. When you get into the Word and you get strong in the Lord and the power of His might, you'll see results. Don't expect them otherwise. We're not willing to spend the time. We're not willing to sweat one drop. The Lord Jesus, when He prayed, it says His sweat was like drops of blood. Oh, God, can we understand it? Going astray. We've all gone astray. Forgive us. My Lord, have I prayed enough? Effectually. Have I been in the Word enough for power? Have you? You know what Paul's answer would be? 
I am the chief of sinners and the least of the saints. Oh, he speaks of himself in Romans 7 and tears himself to bits. Save man. Do you really see yourself this morning? Get right with God. Get right with your wife. Get right because you don't have long. Christ is coming soon. And we'd better be right when he comes. Get it straight. Get the sin out. The secret and the overt. And then your strings, your prayers have been useless. Admit it. No power. The word has been as nothing. You have received no strength. Go to him. Expect results. And you'll get them. You'll really get them. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for thy precious word. Blessed to our hearts this day, and Lord, now as we come to this thy table, we pray that you would bless us, and we remember that when we come to that table, God speaks of those who are engaged in overt sin, secret sin, and goings astray that we do not even recognize. That's our great problem, unrecognized. Lord, let's really look into our lives this morning. Let us recognize what God is saying about us going astray. We're his children. We're the bride of Christ. Hardly ever acting like a bride in love with a bridegroom. God forgive us. How often have we told you we loved you, Jesus? Our great bridegroom, you're coming soon. Lord, we've still got time. How blessed that is. Could be today, but we could this day turn our hearts over completely to thee and say, Lord, we're going to change everything. Iniquity out of the heart, proper relationships at home. No wavering in the prayer life. The word in us and we in the word. And then, Lord, we expect that the effectual fervent prayer from our hearts will then gain great things. Oh, God, do it. Our families need it. We need it as fathers and mothers and the children need it. We're in the same place. We're not different. We're not looking down at our children. Father, we just pray that together we'll rise to the heights Christ wants us to. God, help us. Help us to see through the Holy Spirit. And as we come to this table, bless us abundantly. In Christ's name, amen.